It's Monday, June 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Matt Koppenheffer, and from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Chief Investment Officer Andy Cross. Happy Monday, guys. Happy, Happy Monday. Monday, Chris. Uh, we're going to talk entertainment. We're going to talk housing, home improvement, a deal going on in the home improvement industry. We'll get to all of those. Let's start with entertainment. DreamWorks Animation has signed a deal with Netflix for 300 hours of original programming. There'll be new shows that are going to be inspired by characters from past franchises like Shrek and The Croods. And Andy, I'm assuming this is a good deal because shares of both DreamWorks Animation and Netflix are up. That seems like a win-win. Well, I think it continues to show, you guys, the um, demand for for original programming, um, in this, especially in the streaming space. But we've seen this time and time again recently, especially with Netflix, as they continue to try to get to the 40 million member level. They're at 27 million here in the U.S. You know, add a few more interna- internationally, you're at you know, 35 million or somewhere around there. So, um, and they have to deliver content to those to those folks. And there was three years ago, big concerns that they didn't have the programming to compete against some of the big studios. That is totally 180 and now they are out there partnering and developing their own original programming as we've seen with the Kevin Spacey uh, House of Cards and um, some of the other original programming yeah. and bringing back old programming like Arrested Development. So this is another uh, move in the entertainment space to bring the uh, programming to members who are, are paying good money and um, expect the expect the best. And aimed specifically at children because we had talked yeah. recently about how the rights for Nickelodeon programming, Dora the Explorer, was moving from Netflix over to Amazon Prime, and Bezos put out the letter basically saying this one's for the kids. So this this seemed like a move that Netflix almost had to make, or maybe they just had this in the works, and that's why they said, no, 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 we're going to let the Nickelodeon programming go because we're going to develop our own stuff. Well, it's, it's interesting with the Amazon Prime, with, the, with differentiation starting to happen between the two, there aren't that many folks like me yet that have completely cut the the cord to cable and, and are just on these kind of services. Right. But when when Amazon Prime really started first building out its catalog, the catalog started to look very very similar between the two. And and I for one was was starting to think, well, why do I need Netflix when I've got Amazon Prime? But you're starting to see the two move move away and, and differentiate a little bit, so that you have this idea of okay, well, I can have both. And from Netflix's perspective, in 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 this deal, in in their original programming in general, they've got to create this sense of I gotta have Netflix. It's no longer I gotta have streaming video. It's I gotta have Netflix in particular. And I think they're doing a good job with that. Yeah, and the brand, to, to Matt's point, the brand continues to to grow away from the you know obviously from the DVD, and they really are a net business now when it comes to their streaming, and they need to differentiate themselves from the the likes of the Amazon or even from the HBOs and the Time Warners. Um, you know this this deal with DreamWorks is an it's a I think it's a good deal for DreamWorks too um, because it allows them to get more leverage from their their names and their properties and this seems to be the really the kind of um, the the where it's at when it comes to media and making a lot of money off old properties look right. at Man of Steel this weekend look at what's happened in the Marvel Entertainment space the DC mm-hmm. comic space now here we have DreamWorks with their classic media library I'm just waiting for the Mr Magoo movie to come out and I'm wondering. <laughs> Who plays Mr. Magoo? Didn't Leslie Christian, Christian Bale. Click Christian Bale. Any listeners out there with a good person from a good recommendation for Mr. Magoo? Radio at email. Uh, radio at fool.com is our email address. Yeah, I think Christian Bale. 
if you wanted to bring a very dark uh, take on, oh, yeah. on Mr. Magoo. Disturbing Mr. Magoo. Uh, very disturbing. Um, we had talked uh, a little bit uh, last weekend, Andy, on the Motley Fool Money radio show. Our, our guest uh, is uh, on the most recent show is uh, Julia Borston, media and entertainment reporter at CNBC. Um, we had talked about this panel she had moderated at USC with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. And Spielberg, in particular, was talking about what he referred to as the the upcoming implosion of the movie industry, that he really thinks video on demand is going to change it in, a, in pretty significant ways. But the thing that I found most interesting was Spielberg raising the possibility of variable pricing in movie theaters. We've already seen this on iTunes, where uh, a song costs anywhere from $1.29 down to, I think, $0.79 cents is the lowest. And we see it in video on demand. If, if you're if you're like me and you're a Comcast uh, subscriber and you have Xfinity, you know, depending on the movie, it costs different things. Spielberg putting out the notion that hey, you want to see Iron Man three the weekend it opens? That's going to cost you twenty five dollars. That's what that ticket is. Lincoln, maybe he was just sort of being modest and taking a shot at himself, but just saying Lincoln seven dollars. Yeah. What about that? Do you think that that is uh, a, a significant possibility? And if so. How big a variance could we see? Because, I mean, I was making the point to you, Matt, you know, in, in iTunes, we're talking about 30 cents. But as you pointed out, well, depending on how you look at it, that's 30 percent. Well, we've ha- we haven't seen much um, innovation in the pricing, and pricing is one of the five Ps when it comes to, you know, offering a product to consumers. We haven't seen much change in the pricing of in-theater movie experience, with the exception of maybe 3D. 3D costs you an additional three bucks, maybe. Yeah. That's not inconsequential. As a percentage of an entire ticket price, that's like, you know, 30 or 40 percent of your ticket price, maybe even higher. So I think this is a kind of interesting notion by by Spielberg to try to say, listen, we have to think, I mean, outside the box here a little bit, sorry to use the you know the tired phrase there, but have to think maybe there's some innovation here we can go on the pricing side. And if you want to pay up for certain features and not willing to pay for certain features, somehow that market has to be determined. I'm not sure how they would go about doing that. I'm not sure how Apple goes about doing it, but I think it's an innovation uh, or an interesting idea from Spielberg. I, I'm no I'm no Spielberg, but I the the video streaming is is one thing, but in terms of of movies uh, facing a, a sort of a crisis, TV has been so good lately. It is TV has just gotten so good. I think that there's going to be such a challenge for movies to over, overcome from that. If TV continues to be as good as it has been, I, you know, unless there's some sort of innovation, some sort of freshness to get people back out there, I think that could be a, a pretty huge hurdle. And that was really the beauty, Chris, for the DreamWorks part of this because they have struggled to try to figure out how to leverage their properties and get them into the smaller screen, into the um, TV world into the living room outside of just on demand or DVDs, how to really kind of own that space. To Matt's point, he's absolutely right. TV has become so good recently with such good original programming. DreamWorks is saying, listen, people are out there. They're subscribing to things, to services like Netflix and Amazon Prime. We have to play in that space because we have properties and we can uh, better leverage them. When you look, just to wrap up on this, when you look at Netflix, when you look at DreamWorks animation, either stock look pricey to you at this point or do you think there's still room to run no i think there i think both stocks 
can you can buy both stocks. Um, we have recommendations out on both stocks in, in uh, Stock Advisor. Uh, we really liked DreamWorks when it was down below 20, 20. We thought that just was too cheap of a price for that stock. It's now up to 24 or so. And Netflix obviously has a, had a huge resurgence. This space is really an exciting growth opportunity for many yeah. companies around the uh, around the globe. And this is a global place. This is play for both DreamWorks and Netflix. So I like both stocks here. Uh, I'm just going to quote directly from the uh, lead uh, sentence in the Wall Street Journal, a very prominent story this morning about housing. Uh, Congress is gearing up to tackle an issue that Washington has mostly ignored for nearly five years, what to do with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the bailed out but now profitable mortgage companies. And Matt, I know you look closely at the housing market. What, what do you make of this and and sort of this this push by some in Congress to essentially get the government, if not entirely out of, at least less of a player in uh, the idea that the government is backstopping this $10 trillion industry? Well, it's not going to happen quickly. No. no. <laughs> and, and, and that's already been proven out by the fact that you've had these sort of rumblings going on for Literally years now. I, I think that hopefully this, the action that's going on now will start to turn into something that'll actually be material. When we're talking about Congress, that's anybody's guess whether that's true. But I, I like some of the ideas coming out in, in that at least they're saying the, the status quo is not tenable. We need to make some changes. We need to figure out a strategy other than well, let's not do anything because doing something is really, really hard. Right. Um, the the one of the big problems, though, is that as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are now profitable again, they're making a lot of money for Congress. They're right. making a lot of money for the country. And when you think about lawmakers that essentially want to uh, repair a budget that's got a big deficit and don't like taxing their constituents, this is kind of the goose that laid the golden egg right now. Yeah. So so you don't really want to take the knife to it quite yet. It's like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac back when like Peter Lynch was buying them back in the 80s. It's yeah. like now they're, hey, well, they're great businesses. <laughs> so, I mean, let's, let's say, for the sake of argument, that Congress does go down this road, that, that maybe they don't kill the goose that laid the golden egg, but instead they um, uh, sort of keep it under wraps to some degree and start to offload so that, again, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, less of a significant player. Who benefits then? Is it the big investment banks on Wall Street? Is it is it, you know is there a greater piece of the pie for mortgage lenders in that space? I think if they were to go in that direction, well, I don't think that they're necessarily going to go in that direction. Where the government, I, I don't think the government can get out of it. Whether or not I feel like that's what should happen, I don't think that the government can. So I think the more the more logical uh, step here is the the, the Corker Warner bill uh, that people are that, that's currently making the rounds. Yep. It goes in this direction where it sort of phases out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but instead of having this implicit government backing, you get an explicit government backing of mortgages, and uh, and I think that's a pretty reasonable way to go, um, and and I think that puts a lot more of the of the onus back on the private market while still having the government piece in there to keep the market stable during uh, during rough waters. It sounds like a reasonable way to go. You got Bob Corker, Republican from Tennessee, Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia, working together. It probably has no chance whatsoever <laughs> because of that. Exactly. Uh, uh, sticking in the general realm of housing, um, Lowe's is buying Orchard Supply Hardware stores for two hundred five million. Uh, Orchard Supply Hardware, which I had never heard of uh, until this morning. 
has 91 stores on the West Coast. Lowe's is buying the majority of them with an option to buy the rest. What is going on with this story, though, Matt? Because shares of Orchard Supply shot up immediately, uh, and then they've they've since come down, still up a bit. But the, uh, as I was saying to you this morning, this is a this is a company with a market cap of like 11 million, and Lowe's is going to swoop in, buy them, assume all this debt. If I'm I'm not a Lowe's shareholder, but if I am a Lowe's shareholder, why would I be even remotely happy about this deal? Oh well, the deal I think could work out really well for Lowe's. I don't know why why people would be betting on the the equity of Orchard Supply. Yeah. Uh, the you know one of the things that I think is interesting here is it, it's a reminder how much debt matters and and I think a lot of investors have been spoiled to some extent because in the snapback after the after the financial crisis there are a lot of overly indebted companies that have done really well because just because of the snapback because of the quick uh, economic uh, rubber band activity but. The big story with Orchard Supply was the amount. It wasn't a terrible company. It was the amount of debt it was weighed down by. And now I think Lowe's, they're the stalking horse bidder, so that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily get to buy it. But they're sort of lobbying in the low bid. If they get it, I think it's a great pickup for them. You know, the interesting thing, Chris, is that Orchard Supply store format is much smaller uh, than Lowe's, maybe mm-hmm. a third or so. They're, mm-hmm. they're you know, 35,000 square feet. Lowe's runs these, like, many, like, oh, yeah. 100,000 square feet, you know, size store. So it's interesting to see how someone, a company like the Matt said, Orchard Supply can overextend itself. Lowe's comes in relatively good financial condition, good balance sheet, stalking horse bidder, throws in the bid, see what they can get. No one else wants to play. Smaller store format, maybe profitability is a different case, maybe harder or easier to turn around. Lowe's comes in. It could be it could be actually a very nice acquisition, but the dynamics are different than what Lowe's is used to. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of acquisitions always make me a little bit cautious. I want to play off of uh, what you were saying regarding debt, uh, Matt, because we've talked about the free money forever policy and uh, and all of that. But I am curious, uh, as investors, if you guys are starting to see, and maybe you're not, but I'm curious if you're starting to see companies take on levels of debt that make you nervous. Um, and it's uh, I get that the acquisition being different, Orchard Supply having a different footprint, I understand that. But I'm just curious because there was a deal last week in, the in I want to say involving Apollo Copper and Tire or something like that. And, and what struck me was it was this deal where um, one company was being acquired for two and a half billion, and the acquiring company was much smaller. And to finance the deal, they borrowed the entire amount. They borrowed two and a half billion, so they, they could go out and buy another company for two and a half billion. And that just sort of got me thinking. Well, wait a minute. That's fine as long as we're always going to have interest rates at record lows. But of course, we're not going to have that. Are you seeing that? If not in specific companies, in in industries in general, where you think, you know what? You guys are starting to play with fire a little bit. Well, I would say that I, I focus on on two two broad areas. One of them is just really high quality companies, and and for really high quality companies to be raising debt right now is actually pretty nice because yep. the the rates that that we're seeing companies get. Berkshire Hathaway, for instance, has has. Uh, issued some debt recently and the rates are rock bottom levels they're basically getting they are getting free money more or less and the other industri- the other uh, big gr- broad group that i focus on is financial companies and and banks to a large extent and from that perspective i'd almost like to see companies taking on more debt lending has been a little bit constrained because 
uh, banks aren't o- trying to overextend themselves to lend at super low rates. And there are a lot of companies that are kind of looking at the economic uh, environment out there and saying, well, you know, I don't want to take on debt to, to finance in a 1%, 2% growth kind of world. I, I don't think, Chris, uh, in my from my perspective, I don't think it's gotten to horrific levels I don't because interest rates are so low. And the one thing about the financial crisis, and we've talked about this before, is companies came out, most of the companies came out in such better shape, more efficient, higher margins, cut their staff, all of that, that allows them to take a little bit more opportunity uh, to lever up the balance sheet, especially at these low interest rates. Now, that having been said, when you start to compare it against the the coverage rate, can they pay the interest? If is it revolving? Will interest rates move up? Those are things investors have to pay attention to. Over leverage, as we saw before the financial crisis or a co- potential cause of the financial crisis, is never a healthy thing. So you always have to compare it against the interest, the ability for the company to make the interest payments and the levels of debts. But I don't think it's a terrible situation right now, as Matt said. For good, solid companies, it's actually a a pretty good move to borrow at these rates. And what, one other thing I'll say, and, and I'll, I'm going to give away exactly how exciting my weekends tend to be. But I was <laughs> I was reading through Bank of America's 10K over the weekend, Woo! and that's sort of that's ground zero for a lot of the a lot of the losses from the financial crisis. And it, it's just a reminder, looking at exactly where their pain points are. This was very much a consumer led. Uh, recession. So it was it was consumers through real estate to a lesser extent through um, through through other consumer borrowing. But that's where that's where most of the losses were. That's where the big pain points were. So you didn't see companies defaulting as much as you saw uh, people. Ho- yeah, home buyers. Bank of America's annual report could have a centerfold, and I wouldn't read it. But <laughs> that's just one of the differences between it's you only, and me. Um, just to pages. bring it back to home improvement, just for one second, because I know you guys are are uh, dealing with some challenges. Uh, if you had a home improvement magic wand, you get to improve one thing about your home just instantly. Matt, what are you going with? I have a 600-square-foot apartment. <laughs> I, and and the, the air conditioning was out for the last two weeks. And so I, if I had the magic wand, I would have waved it then. But instead, I had a uh, an AC tech come out over the weekend. Uh, Chris, the magic wand is going on right now, and it's but it's not a magic wand. It's basically a jackhammer in my basement as they try <laughs> to get under the uh, f- the water leakage and flooding in my basement. That, other than that, my, the two levels of my floor they could not be different, or my house could not be different temperatures. The downstairs could be freezing, the upstairs <laughs> could be like a fire pit, or vice versa. And we can't get it right. So if I could, man, if I could wave a wand. Fix my temperature to a consistent level on both floors, please. Andy Cross, Matt Coffin, Upper Guys, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fooler. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Sell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.